If you are turning with me in your Bibles, I forgot where we're turning. 1 Corinthians 4.15 is where we're going to start. I start out today by saying happy Father's Day to all the fathers in the house and all the the spiritual fathers out there and the natural fathers out there. And those of you, you know, some of you have chosen to be a father or a mentor to somebody in your life and you may not even be a natural father. So I say happy Father's Day to all the fathers. Happy Father's Day to my dad if you're watching. He's been tuning in and watching. So happy Father's Day, Dad, if you're, if you're on there. Thank you for all that you've invested into my life over the last <clears throat> almost 40 years. Hope that doesn't make you feel old. But happy Father's Day, Dad. Thanks. Love you. Um, I encourage all of you, no matter if your dad's alive, reach out to him today and speak to him, honor them, give them a phone call or a message if they're not close, and honor your fathers. So happy Father's Day today to to all the fathers. Um, Statistics show that 50% of all parents are fathers. So keep that in mind. And then there's dad jokes. (laughs) They just naturally come. I recently learned two very important things. One of them I can't remember. The other one is write everything down so you don't forget it. (laughs) Um, as you get older, your, your memory starts to go sometimes or, or your mind starts to go. You, you, maybe you start to forget some things. I got a word for all the married men that may be listening. As you're forgetting stuff, you can go ahead and forget your mistakes because there's no sense in two people remembering the same thing. Let me get back on track here. So maybe your memory's going or maybe you can't do all the things that you used to be able to do, dads. Things are different than they were at one time. But that doesn't mean they have to be worse. They're different. We talked about that a few weeks ago, that God can do a new thing in our lives and in us as people. And and if we're growing spiritually, if we're growing as men, and and as we get older, we're becoming more mature, we're becoming better fathers and better leaders, and then we're getting better. So yeah, we might be losing some things and some things may be changing, but we should always be getting better wiser, more mature. Dads are different. It could be a good thing or a bad thing that that you're different than you used to be. There are all different kinds of fathers. There's some fat ones and some skinny ones, some young ones and old ones and rich ones and poor ones. There's some dumb ones and some smart ones. There's some rude ones. I heard this guy last week was saying that he was talking to his therapist 
and they told him, what you need to do is go back to wherever, whatever house you grew up in, your childhood home. And I think it would be very beneficial for you because you've just closed off some areas of your life. And if you could go back to that house and just see if you could go in and look around and maybe sit in your old bedroom and, and face some of these things that, that we're trying to work through here. He said, okay, fine. It's going to be hard. So he made that drive and went back to the old house where he grew up. And he's nervous and doesn't know what's going to happen. Like walks up and knocks on the door and steps back. And this man opens the door and he's like, hey, um, like I grew up here. This was my childhood home. And my therapist thinks that I should come in here, see if I can come and like sit in my old bedroom and try to work through some of this stuff. And the man said, hey, get off my porch before I call the police and slams the door. The man stood there and thought, my dad is so rude. <laughs> so some dads are just rude. <laughs> I don't know what problems you've had, or maybe none, maybe some good, some bad. You know, some dads are slaves. You know, we can be slaves to our sin or or to addictions or slaves to our own mental issues and, and, and some dads are free men walking in freedom not every man that has children is a father and just because you have a baby doesn't mean you're a father it's just getting started see what you do with it to be a good father you must be selfless <laughs> you have to be your kids' needs and wants, they got to come before yours or you're not a very good father. See, you've got to be selfless and you've got to be willing to invest. See, a father invests in his children. 1 Corinthians 4.15 For though we have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have you not many fathers? For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. So this is Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. And Paul's saying, like, you have 10,000 instructors. In other words, there are a whole lot of people that are going to tell you what to do and try to control you or try to tell you, you need to do this, you need to do that. Hey, walk up. Like, there's tons of people that will boss you around or instruct you, but he's telling them, you don't have that many fathers. A whole lot of instructors, but there aren't that many fathers. What's the difference in an instructor and a father? The difference is... That the Father is investing, not looking to be repaid, not looking for anything in return, not looking for something to get done. A father will invest in his children, not to get paid back. I give my children things and I don't look for them to pay me back. When Jesse goes to the grocery store Monday or Tuesday and buys our groceries for the week and we spend all that grocery money we don't look for Malachi and Titus and Sky to chip in and pay us back for the groceries I pay for their food because I'm their father 
and had to start raising pigs to try to help out with that. Three teenage boys eat a lot. You know, the average cost in the U.S. to raise a child from birth to 18, this is average now, $250,000 for one kid. So, I mean, like those of you that have four kids, you're looking at a million bucks by the time they get to, you get that youngest one to 18. Average. That's not giving them a whole lot of extra and spoiling them. That's just, that's the average. Good luck with that. Bo and Amanda, Tyler and Favor. I know some of y'all got, <laughs> Overtime. But it's not just about the money. That's one aspect of it. It's about time. It's about sowing into them, like giving them the things they need. It's about showing them what's important in life. It's about teaching them to hear God. It's about, there's so many more things that are even more important than the money. Right, you hear that amount of money and you're like, wow, that's crazy. But then there are a lot of other things that I would argue are more important than, than the money. Giving them good life skills and teaching them And just being there with them and letting them know you're proud of them and cheering them on and helping them get up when they fall because they're going to fall. Because they're following in our footsteps. We all fall. So I ask you a couple questions. Are you investing? And this isn't just for the fathers. I'm asking everybody in the room. Do you have people in your life that you're investing in? Are you investing your time, your talents, your treasures, the things that God's given you? The second question, do you have anyone investing in you? Or are you fatherless? You, you spiritually parentless. I'm not just talking about in the natural. Like, do you have anyone investing in you? Is there anybody that's pouring into you? I want to read you the verse we just read. I want to read it to you in the message translation. I'm going to go ahead and read you like verse 14 through 16 in the message. First Corinthians 4, 14. I'm not writing all this as a neighborhood scold just to make you feel rotten. I'm writing as a father to you, my children. I love you and I want you to grow up well, not wrong. But there aren't many fathers willing to take the time and effort to help you grow up. It was as Jesus helped me proclaim God's message to you that I became your father. I'm not, you know, asking you to do anything that I'm not already doing myself. Paul said, I'm not asking you all to do anything that I'm not doing. 
I'm willing to invest. I'm willing to father. And, and the people Paul's talking to aren't his natural kids. Right? But he's willing to invest. He's willing to pour in. And he says, I'm not asking you guys to, to do something I'm not willing to do. I'm willing to pour in and invest. So fathers should be investing in people and not looking for anything in return. Sometimes we go through life bitter and hurt, even tortured, tired, wore out, burned out. And a lot of times, not just dads, not just fathers, like we feel that way in life, just burned out or tired or wore out or all these different things. Well, what do we do? Look what Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty five. Abruptly, Jesus broke into prayer. Thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. You've concealed your ways from the sophisticates and know-it-alls, but spelled them out clearly to ordinary people. Yes, Father, that's the way you like to work. Jesus resumed talking to people, but now tenderly. The Father has given me all these things to do and say. This is a unique father-son operation coming out of father and son intimacies and knowledge. No one knows the son the way the father does, nor the father the way the son does. But I'm not keeping it to myself. I'm ready to go over it line by line with anyone willing to listen. It's free. It's a gift. He says, all who are thirsty. Jesus is trying to say, yeah, these are the, this is the father-son relationship, but I'm trying to let you guys know that it's for everybody. I'm willing to go over it line by line with anybody that's willing to listen. Because he's your father too. And look what he says. Are you tired? Are you worn out? You burned out on religion? Well, then you better get to work. And here's what steps you need to take to refresh yourself. No. He said, if you're tired, come to me. If you're wore out, come to me. If you're burned out, come to me. Well, I got some problems. Come to me. I got some sin issues that I just can't kick. Come to me. Well, I've got shame. Come to me. Well, I'm still dealing with sorrow. Come to me. We see it all throughout Scripture that we're told, just come. You don't clean up. You don't fix anything. You don't, because then it becomes about works and your strength and what you can do. And if you're strong enough and have enough diligence, or then it becomes about you. He says, come to me. I don't care if somebody else hurts you or you hurt them or you, what, whatever's going on, Jesus' message is always come to me. The Father's arms are open. Remember the story of the prodigal? The, the father had a place for both sons. 
doesn't matter where you are, what you've been through, what your problem is, what your hang-up is, what your, your judgment zone is, whatever. He wants relationship. Fathers, dads, today, if you're tired, if you're wore out, if you're burned out, Jesus says, come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. Your life, what? He's talking about real life. An abundant life that Jesus spoke of. Not just going through the motions. See, I'll show you how to take a real rest. To get recharged, refilled. Walk with me. And work with me. Just watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me. And you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I want to live freely and lightly. I love that. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. The rhythms of grace is not law, not works, not my strength. But it all goes back to relationship. That's why Jesus says, come to me. That's really the gospel. It all comes down to the price was paid on the cross. That's the good news is that it's not up to us. We see the sacrifice that was made. It, it's not by works, lest any man should boast. Paul said. The heart of the Father says, come home. The shepherd will leave the 99 and go after one sheep that's lost. And God says, come as you are. We're supposed to bring everything to God. All that we are, all that we're not. We're instructed to bring everything to God in prayer. To unload on God we see in Peter. To bring it all. Anxieties, fear, sin, hurt, brokenness, failures, our good stuff, our bad stuff, the, the stuff that's kicking us in the teeth whatever it is we're instructed to bring it all to him he says come to me why because that's where real change is going to happen is in his presence I can't change you you can't change me but he can come to me As I was just thinking about this message and studying some this week, I or last week, maybe last week, I heard this song, and I don't know if y'all y'all have heard it, but it's a Brantley Gilbert song. And it's called Just As I Am. And so I saw an interview on the I saw him being interviewed and they asked him about the song and and it's a powerful song about um, 
something that he had. It was a major addiction, a problem in his life, something that, you know, maybe okay for some people, but he just couldn't handle it. And he talks about it in the interview. Um, I asked Dylan if he'd, if he'd learn the song, so we'll try and we'll try and sing it for you, so you get the uh, you get the idea of it. said come just as you are skin and bone smell like a bar sure you want me there this way okay well I'm on my way Grab this bottle just in case I'm just too ashamed to pray I'm bringing this burden to you now Yeah, the prodigal son returns The only way that I know how The only way that I know Gonna drive my steel horse down to the altar Put my hands on the tank and pray Lord, I ain't got much to offer But I ain't trying to die this way So may this bottle be the body And this bourbon be the blood If I pour it out, will you take my offer? Give me the strength to never pick it up Here I stand Just as I am You know most folks don't understand I'm talking about pouring out my best friend It sounds so sad, but that's how it is That's how it's gotta end Lord, I've tried it by myself Give my pride, I need your help Gonna drive my steel horse down to the altar Put my hands on the tank and pray Lord, I ain't got much to offer but I ain't trying to die this way So may this bottle be the body And this bourbon be the blood If I pour it out, will you take my off? Give me the strength to never pick it up Here I stand Broken memories, scars on the heart, and skin I'm wearing 
face this world just as I am. You said, Come just as you are, skin and bones and broken heart. Kept your word, and here I stand. I'm born again, just as I am. See, so Brantley Gilbert wrote a song about his addiction to alcohol. Because that's what was dragging him down. That's the thing that was holding him back. And he got to a point that he realized it. That was the thing that was controlling him. And, and I hope you listened to those words. And I know a lot of them, it wasn't that polished. or That was me calling Dylan and telling him to learn it. So good job, Dylan good work on that like and it wasn't that polished but I wanted you to hear those words because it's real and it's raw and it reminds me of a lot of the like the psalms that David wrote because and and maybe alcohol is not your problem like you know maybe that's not it but what is yours like what's the giant in your life that keeps you from being a good father what's the thing in your life that will stop you from changing the world What's the thing in your life that will stop you from your destiny, your call, from being the mother or the brother or the sister or the child or from taking your place in the kingdom? He wrote a song about his giant. I I watched the interview with him and they were asking him about the song. And... uh, He said, I was in lots of fights, but nothing like this. It was trying to kill me. What's trying to kill you? And maybe not literally kill you, but what is it that's sucking the life out of you? And what is it that's got you so tired and weary and and burned out on religion like that scripture we just read? What is it that's sucking the life out of you? What is it that controls you? What makes you do things you don't want to do? In that interview, he said, uh, my problem is I can't just drink one and then put it down. We're going to go fight somebody, and I'm going to probably wake up naked on some beach I've never been to. (laughs) Right? Because that's what his problem was. He couldn't control it. it. It had control over him. But what is it for you? There are things that are controlling your thought patterns or the things that are controlling your, your time, your money. We, all, we talk about time, talents, and treasures. All right, so your time, the things that you're gifted, the, your talents, the things that you're good at, and, and your money. Like, Is there anything controlling you other than God? He figured out that it was controlling him. Look what Jesus said in John 8. John 8, 34. 
Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. Like you become a slave to it. You never say, oh, I can do whatever I want. I'm free. No, that's not freedom. That's not true freedom. We talked about that a couple weeks ago too with a different scripture. But here Jesus is saying, and you can read, he talks a lot about it through those verses. In the interest of time, I'm not going to read all of it. But Jesus is telling them, that's not true freedom. In fact, you become a slave to that thing, whatever it is. You let it control you. You will end up worshiping that. Romans 6, if you go read Romans 6, it talks all about that, about the bondage of sin and that in Christ we are called to freedom. We've been given freedom. We can live in freedom, all of us. doesn't matter who we are or where we come from. Like, freedom is ours. We are free. You are forgiven. Every person under the sound of my voice, you're forgiven. For everything you've ever done and everything you will ever do, Jesus paid the price and you are forgiven. That's the good news of the gospel. Like it was paid for. So, just come home. The Father loves you. He runs to meet you. Even when you've been far away. And not the future you. Like the Father doesn't just love the you after you've got it all together. In our mind we think, well, once I get cleaned up and I start doing what God's called me to do and I start walking in purpose and I drop these three or four habits, then the Father will be proud of me and love me. That's not the case. See, you can't do anything to make Him love you more. You can't do anything to make Him love you less. So in in our mind, we think, well, now that I answered the call of God on my life to preach, and I'm up here preaching, now God probably loves me more, and He's more proud of me. No. He loves you just as you are, right where you are. Your worth to Him. You're His kid. The Bible tells us that while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. You know that verse, while you were yet sinners. It means at your worst. At the worst you were, doing the worst you could do. Imagine the worst sin, the worst, the deepest, darkest place you've ever gone in your mind. In that moment, He died for you. In that moment, you were still enough. Right In that moment, while you were looking at something you shouldn't have looked at, while your hands were abusing somebody, while you, whatever, I don't know. But whenever you were at your worst, at that moment, God said, I'll still sacrifice my son because she's worth it. He's still worth it. I'll still sacrifice Jesus. 
in that moment, not after it was cleaned up, just as they are. I still want them. That's my kid. I don't care. I know they've messed up. So what? You have immense value. You need to know that. When we talk about forgiveness, it seems like forgiveness comes up a lot. And it comes up a lot in Scripture. But it's not just forgiving other people. you got to forgive yourself. And this Father's Day, and I'm talking a lot to the fathers and stuff, and I see so many men that can't forgive themselves. They're carrying around mistakes that they've made or times that maybe they didn't do what they should have done or times that they've fallen to addiction or times that they weren't the best father or husband or provider or you fill in the blank because we've all fallen short in some area, some way, sometime. But if we don't learn how to forgive ourselves and like Jesus said, come to me, come back into the Father's arms, then we can never be the people that we're called to be. Zach did the Wisdom Wednesday last week. Zach and Heather aren't here this morning, but if you didn't get to see it on Facebook, go watch Zach's Wisdom Wednesday because that's what he talked all about this, this past week was forgiving yourself. He talked about his own personal struggle and he gave several several um, Bible verses and things. It was really good. So if you didn't see it, go back and watch it. But it's so true. Yes, we have to forgive other people, but we have to forgive ourselves. Look at Matthew 18. Matthew 18, verse 19. Again, I say unto you, Jesus is saying this. Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. This doesn't mean just like two of you say, oh, you think that? I think that too. I agree. It means to be in covenant. If any two of you are in covenant, you agree with each other on this on this thing, then it will be done. If you agree or if two of you will walk in covenant. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Like this is what's on Peter's mind. Why? Because when we look at what Jesus just said, he's saying, hey, if y'all can get this thing worked out and walk in covenant relationship and in real unity, then anything you ask... It'll be granted. And so then Peter's sitting there thinking, well, I guess we're going to have to forgive people. We're going to be able to walk in relationship like that, walk in covenant with people and get what we, I mean, we, so then Peter's like, well, Jesus, how many times we got to, how many times do we have to forgive somebody when they sin against us? 
seven times. He goes ahead and throws out there before Jesus answers. How about seven? He's looking around at the other disciples like, God, he's so spiritual. Scholars tell us that, that Peter was the oldest of the disciples, and they were all probably a good bit younger than Peter. And we know Peter was a big mouth, and he tried to, tried to speak a lot of times when he should have held his tongue. But Peter says, still seven times? You picture the other disciples are probably like, oh, brother. You got a little brown on your nose there, bud. Like it's trying to. How many times? Seven. You see, the Jews said it was three times. Like if somebody sins against you, if somebody hurts you or wrongs you, you have to forgive them three times. But on the fourth time, you can go hood on. Green light. So you picture Peter, and they would have known that. The Jews said, you have to forgive three times. And then Peter's like, they say three. I'm going to sound super spiritual and double it and add one. Seven. Look what Jesus says to him. Jesus said unto him, I say not unto thee, until seven times, but until 70 times seven. What Jesus was saying is, Peter, you got to keep forgiving. You can't put a number on it. Like you have to keep on and keep on and keep on and keep on. Like I forgave you. Jesus forgave us. I don't know about any of y'all, but I sure don't want a number on the times I get forgiven. And it's funny how we as humans, we want justice. We want to see justice served on somebody else. But when it comes to us, we want mercy. Now, if I make a mistake, I want, I want to receive mercy. When we see somebody else, we say, well, last chance. Justice must be served. Or as Canaan would say, spank them. <laughs> no mercy. <laughs> I don't want God to put a number on the amount of times he forgives me. Jesus said, Peter, you, you can't put a number on it. Like you're, you're completely missing what I'm trying to say here. In Mark 11, Jesus is preaching this, this powerful message and he's preaching on faith and, and he's really getting into it. And it's one of the most, this big, one of the most famous messages that Jesus preached that we have recorded and it's this big powerful faith message and it's building and, and I want you to imagine the scene where Jesus is preaching on faith and Peter's amening and John, we know that John was the emotional one so he's probably down at the altar crying a little bit. Old doubting Thomas, we know he was there so He's probably sitting there thinking, is it really possible for a mountain to move with just the faith of a mustard seed? Maybe he's questioning what Jesus was preaching. And we've got this, this big 
service going on. Judas was taking up an offering, probably because he was in charge of the money, and the crowd was all into it, and it's like, yeah, mountain-moving faith. Yeah, Jesus, yes, yes. And it's building up. The message is building up and all these things. And Jesus is, is telling them that you can move mountains with your words, with your faith. And then in verse 24 and 25, Therefore I say unto you what things soever you desire when you pray, Believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. And they're like, yes. And when you stand praying, forgive. If you have aught against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Wah, wah. Jesus, that's not how you end a message, man. Why did you, you, we were going for the big stuff. We were talking about faith and power and how to do the miraculous. And then you, you, you said, forgive, forgive anybody and everybody if you want to be forgiven. What? Because that's how important forgiveness is. That is the important stuff. It'll keep us out of relationship with each other and God. and It'll keep us from being the people that we're supposed to be. If we can't learn how to forgive. If you go back to Matthew, I won't read you all the verses because we've read this not that long ago. Um, but those verses we just read in Matthew 18, 19, and 20 where he said, no, 70 times 7, stop worrying about that. Well, as soon as he gets done, Jesus gets done telling Peter, then he tells him a parable. And he says, uh, there was a man that owed a whole bunch of money. You know, he owed like, we'll say a million bucks to the king, and the king called him in and asked him to pay. And, he, and, and the Bible tells us that he couldn't pay it. And he begged for more time. He wanted mercy from the king. And... So the king forgave him his debts. The king forgave him a debt that he could not pay. He could never pay. And he left and he went and found his friend that owed him like 20 bucks. And the Bible tells us that he grabbed him and started choking him and said, Give me my $20. After somebody just forgave you a debt of a million dollars, you're going to go hunt down old buddy and try to choke him for your 20 bucks. And he had him thrown in jail over such a little thing. And in Jesus' story, like some other people saw it, saw what he did, and they went back and told the king. And so the king called him in and, and threw him in jail. How many times have we, knowing the huge debt that God forgave us, every sin we've ever committed and ever will commit, everything we've ever done wrong, that God forgave us on the cross, but yet I'm ready to choke you and throw you in jail because of one thing you did to me. Because of a $20 debt. 
when I was forgiven a million. And then what the king says to him in verse 33, Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? The king said, like, I gave you mercy. I forgave your debt. And you can't forgive a much smaller debt. I do want to point out that you can't give something that you don't have. Like, if one of y'all walk up to me after church and ask me, if I can give you a dollar, then I have to think about it and decide if I'm going to give you a dollar because I do have one dollar in my wallet. Right? I can pull out this one dollar bill and give it to you if I think I should or if I think you deserve it or what for whatever reason, thought process, I can give you a dollar. If one of y'all walk up to me after church and ask me for a thousand bucks or even a million dollars, I don't have it. If I sold everything I had, I couldn't come up with it, so it's going to be a real easy answer. I'm not. I'm going to say, nope. I don't have to think about it. I don't have to talk to Jesse about it. I, I don't have it. I can't give it. But if you get a revelation and a realization of the mercy that was given to you, right, and the forgiveness that was given to you, you focus on Jesus like we're instructed to in Scripture, and, and you get that revelation of the love and the forgiveness and the acceptance that was given to you. Now, your bank account's full. Right? you got plenty of mercy checks you can write out to people. If your account's full. Forgiveness that you've been given on the cross. You see, unforgiveness is you not trusting God to make it right. That's you thinking, no, I need to jump in and make this thing right. No, he wronged me. Now I need to step in. That's, that's you not trusting God and thinking you need to take matters into your own hands. Verse 34 says, And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors. That word is tormentors or torturers. Till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly father. Remember this is Jesus telling this story. That was the end of Jesus' little story. So likewise shall my heavenly father do also unto you. If you from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. Forgive not everyone. What Jesus is saying, you will be tormented or tortured if you don't forgive everyone. Not the ones that say, I'm sorry. Not the ones that make it right. Everyone. Because it doesn't hurt them. Unforgiveness hurts you. Unforgiveness is a weight that you throw on your back and carry around. Unforgiveness becomes bitterness inside your heart and soul. It doesn't hurt them. 
it hurts you. So, well, that's a little bit harsh, Jesus. So your heavenly Father is going to torture me if I don't forgive him? If you look at that word that was used there, it's a Greek word, and it's tormentors or torturers, and it means to be pressed for truth. It was a legal term that was used um, in their courts of law. So like a lawyer would press you to get the truth, would ask you all kinds of different questions from different angles and try to get the truth out of you, to be tortured or tormented, nagging, this nag, and, and that's what the Holy Spirit does. Is When you've got unforgiveness and you've got bitterness growing in your heart, it's like a nagging, a torturing, of, ah, you got to get it right. Every time you see that person, you feel sick to your stomach. That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit make me feel sick. That is discernment. No. We mask it as discernment. There's something dark about her. No. You've got some bitterness, and that's the Holy Spirit. Torture. Trying to force you to get it right. We treat people the way we think God treats us. If we get a clear view of God, then it really helps all our relationships. But if you think God's mad at you and requiring you to go through all the motions to receive His love, then you turn around and start requiring all the people in your life to go through all these motions to get your love. If you feel like, well, I don't know if God can forgive me for the things that I've done, the things that nobody knows, the things that, well, I don't know if God can forgive me. So then, you don't know if God can forgive other people, and it becomes hard for you to give, forgive other people, and then yourself. You can't forgive yourself, and you carry it. When you don't forgive, it's torture. It keeps on coming up. And your brain can't tell the difference in an experience and a memory. It does the same thing to you emotionally, psychologically. You can't tell the difference a lot of times. So if you keep thinking up this past and you won't let it heal... And it keeps coming up, keeps coming up, keeps coming up. It's like you're going through it over and over. It's a root of bitterness. Did you know that it is impossible to hate one person? It's a lie you might tell yourself. You can't hate one person. It grows. Trust me, you think you might hate one person, but it's a root of bitterness. And before long, I mean, you might hate one man because he did you wrong, but then after years and years of unforgiveness and that, that bitterness grows, and then all men are dogs. And they're really not. Like, there are some good ones. You can't hate all churches. and Well, you can. 
You can't hate one. Because if you don't work it out and, and get some forgiveness, then it'll grow. And then all churches are corrupt and they're just out to get my money or whatever it is, wherever you were hurt or where you were offended. If you don't learn how to release and find forgiveness, then that root of bitterness grows and hate grows in you and lives in you. One of the definitions for the word to forgive is simply to let go. Like a boat being untied from a dock. And you know the boat can be untied from in the boat or standing on the dock. Either one. I don't need two people to untie the boat. It would be very nice if there was two people to untie the boat. It would be very nice if... If you hurt me and you tell me you're sorry and I forgive you. But I don't have to have you tell me that you're sorry for me to choose to forgive you. To let go. Say, I'm not holding that. I'm not going to carry that piano on my back. I was never meant to carry it. I'm going to come to Jesus. Come to me. If you're tired, if you're weary, if you've been carrying a a Steinway on your back. Come to me and unload, like it says in 1 Peter. Let it go. So to forgive is, is to let go. Did you know you'll become what you hate? You carry that thing long enough, you don't let go, you will become that thing that you hate. How many, how many like little boys... Can't stand the fact that dad's an abusive alcoholic and then they watch that and then they get this unforgiveness and then when they turn into an adult, they're the exact same thing. It happens all the time. It's because they carried that bitterness and that unforgiveness and they never figured out how to let go of it. So they just carried it until one day they looked like it and then they hate themselves and they can't forgive themselves because they look like the thing that they hated. That's where... The Bible calls it generational curses. You can call it what you want to call it, but it comes from unforgiveness and bitterness. And you end up looking like the thing that you hate the most. Job said, the thing that I feared the most, it came upon me. It happened. Because you keep focusing on that. If you hold on to something dead long enough, eventually you die. That used to be a, the death penalty, a form of punishment. They would chain you to the dead body until it set up gangrene. and It's pretty gross and disgusting, but, and you would die. Like you can't carry around something dead. You can't carry around death. It will take your life eventually. A powerful definition of the word to forgive is to break covenant with. It's one of the definitions of the word forgive. It's to break covenant with. Me and my wife, Jessie, have been married for, I like to say, almost 20 years. 19 years. And we get more and more alike. 
Like it even it gets easier to aggravate her because I know what she's thinking. But we look more and more alike. We think more and more alike. We don't even have to have as many conversations because she knows what I think and I know what she thinks about certain things. And why is that? Because we're in covenant. And a real Christian that's in covenant relationship, the father-son relationship that we just read about, you should look more and more like God, more and more like your father. The more you grow, the more time goes by. That's what covenant does. You look more and more like the thing that you're in covenant with as time goes by. And the sad thing is that some of you are in covenant with pain. Some people are in covenant with their hurt. Some people are in covenant with unforgiveness. And as time goes by, you look more and more like the thing that you're in covenant with. It's 2020. And some people are emotionally and spiritually stuck in 1992. 2013 1981 and all stuck why because you won't let go Jesus says come to me and I can take all that I already paid for it come to me I can't forgive myself come to me Man, I did a lot of things wrong. Come to me. It, it's okay. Luke 23, Jesus is on the cross and he's, he's wrongfully accused and he's dying and he's been beaten beyond recognition. And he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they were doing. Yeah, Jesus, I'm pretty sure they did know what they were doing. They don't know what they're doing. I'm sorry to tell some of you today that you may not get an apology from whoever it is that hurt you. And if you're having a hard time forgiving yourself, you may not get a good apology from yourself. That's okay. And for some of you, they may not even know how bad they hurt you, whoever it is that hurt you. For some of you, the person might be dead. Right? They might even be gone. But that's okay. Because you can let go. What if the doctor told you that you had cancer? Okay, what do we need to do? What are the steps? How can we get rid of it? How can we, we fight this thing and get it out? So today, I'm just shining a light and showing you that unforgiveness and bitterness in your life, that's a cancer. So let's get rid of it. Hey, let's cut it out. Let's fight it. Let's beat it. How do we beat it? Come to me. Stop waiting on something you may never get when you've already received something that they could never give. You got to forgive other people, you got to forgive yourself. And you got to forgive God. Some people are just mad at God. 
things didn't turn out the way they were supposed to or he didn't protect or you don't understand or you got questions of why or for whatever reason like you got to forgive God last scripture Romans 12 1 I'll read it to you in the message Bible So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Or come to me. You say your everyday life, you're working, eating, sleeping, walking around your life, your time, your talents, your treasures, who you are. Bring it to God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Wait, so the best thing I can do for God is just embrace what He's done for me? Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you just fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants from you and quickly respond to it. Why does it say quickly respond to it? Because you'll talk yourself out of it. Saying readily recognize what God's asking you to do. Like today, if God spoke something to you in the message and or you heard God saying, come to me, or then saying, do it quick. Like readily recognize and then do it so that you don't talk yourself out of it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you develops well-formed maturity in you. You see, God wants to transform you by the renewing of your mind. By letting you see Him and letting you realize the work that was done, letting you see the worth that is on your life. Remind you of the price that was paid and He says, come just as you are. Already knew. I see your brokenness and I can use it. That's maturity. Have you all ever heard of John Newton? John Newton was a very bad man. John Newton was an evil man, if you go read about him. He was a, he was a slave trader. And he did some horrible things to humans that should never be done. He lived a horrible, despicable life. And there, towards the end of his life, he got saved and he heard about Jesus and that a price had been paid for his sins and his wrongs. And he had a lot of wrongs. And 
as he was there at the end of his life, his memory started to fade and and he was seeking forgiveness for all the things that he had done. And he found out that he could come to Jesus just as he was. Even with all the baggage and all the bad and all the wrongs and all the sins. And he says towards the end of his life, he said, my memory is almost gone. But I remember two things. I am a great sinner. And God is a great savior. And then he wrote a song, a hymn that you've probably heard of. It's called Amazing Grace. And that was the author of Amazing Grace that we all sing in our churches. And he found out about Amazing Grace. I don't think you've done as much as him or have as much baggage as him. But even if you have... He says, come. If you think you've gone too far, nope. Jesus will save you in a moment. In fact, he already did. He paid the price. That's what he does. It's the moment of truth. as we close out the Father's Day message I'm going to give you a challenge and pray over you Sky and Connor that's y'all too men I don't need you to be perfect I don't need you to never mess up I need you to be faithful and steady. I need you to believe what God said about you. And I need you to speak it over yourselves and your families. I need you to win the wars that most will lose. To face your giants. And be the leaders that the world so desperately needs. Whether you have natural children or not, I need you to invest. Invest. There are people around you that need leaders. They need fathers. They need to see real men live a life of integrity. To be men of truth. And power. I need you to find your masculinity. To buck against the slave master. The sin that would easily beset you. Whatever it is. I need you to win the fight that most men will lose. I need you to become powerful. And make a covenant with your eyes. I need you to let go and forgive. 
Don't numb the hero's heart that God placed on the inside of you. God, I pray that that you would give us strength. God, I pray that you would help us to be the men, to be the body, to be the people that you've called us to be. God, we know that together we can change the world. We don't want to have bitterness built up in our heart and our soul and and unforgiveness. and, And God, help us to forgive ourselves. Because I know for a lot of us, we're our own worst critic. So God, today, all of us in the room, we're coming to you. And we're coming home. We're reminded today of your heart towards us. We're bringing you our brokenness, our heaviness, our our burdens. Our God, we're kind of tired. We're coming to you looking to get refreshed. We love you. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for all that you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Happy Father's Day.